page 827. All right. So let's open up in prayer. So God, we ask that you bless our time together. We ask, Father, um, that you could reveal uh, more about uh, prayer and uh, more uh, about, Lord, communicating with you. Because uh, honestly, it's, it's like difficult at times. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to understand. Uh, sometimes we let other things get in the way. Um, there's certain dynamics to prayer that are important that you have laid out, and I pray that we would understand that. But Father, help us to be good communicators with you. I pray that we could be a people that understand what you desire, what you want, where you're moving, where you're going, what you're doing. Father, may we uh, be a people that get closer to your heart and understand that better so we can live our lives in the direction and in the places where you are going. So I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians 1, page 827, we said? Okay. All right. So let's take a look. Ephesians 1, let's read through it, and then we're going to take a look at a couple of things. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Last week we left off, we did verses uh, 1 through 14, which um, is really an amazing passage. Throughout, you know, all Scripture, it's a, it's a pretty amazing one, at least I think so. Um, because Paul does a really good job as far as detailing uh, what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ, the blessings that come along with it. And um, then he starts using language about being adopted into his family and how nothing can separate us from that. And then he uses the imagery of a deposit, that part of God himself, that part being the Holy Spirit, actually lives in us. And then God cashes in on that deposit when we get into heaven. And so there's some neat stuff that we talked about last week. And then this week, we're going to take a look at the second part of just this first chapter, this introductory um, sort of chapter into this book of Ephesians. So let's see what Paul says. Verse 15, he says, For this reason... Well, what reason are we talking about? Well, it's everything that happened in verses 1 through 14. The fact that He chose us in Christ, that He has adopted us into His family, that nothing can separate us, nothing can separate us from His love and what God has said is true about us. So for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So Paul, writing this letter to Ephesus, a church um, that he's calling the Ephesians, right? It's a particular area, it's a, it's a city, it's a town, and we said they made a lot of money and a lot of their commerce and economy was built on actually building false idols and false gods. And when um, Paul showed up on the scene and... Uh, he basically converted a lot of people in that town to Christianity. It was bad for business, and he created a big uproar. And um, what happened is that eventually he established a church there, right? Ephesians. And so ten years later, ten years later, Paul writes this letter to this church. And at this church, he spent the most time at this church uh, than he had with any other church. He spent about three years there. So he was really invested into them and was close to them. And uh, he writes this letter 
And Paul himself is actually in prison when he writes it. So he's got chains on him as he's writing this letter. And the part that we just read, right? this chapter is just the opening chapter to the rest. It's only six chapters long. Um, but the part that we just read, you get a sense and you get an idea um, that Paul had a deep love and a deep affection for those he's writing to. Really just loved them. He wasn't um, in it or around them for really any personal benefit um, other than God had placed on his heart and as he worked and stayed with them and ministered with them, man, the love was just overflowing. And you get that sense when you look at it. Because he uses language like this in verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord of our that our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. He says, I pray also, right, that their eyes would be opened and that they would know the hope to which God has called them. And then he goes on to explain the power that they have because they are Christians. So this group of people, uh, He loves them so much that they have invaded His prayer time. His personal prayer time. And... Uh, He's continually thankful for them and he's continually praying for them. And so a couple of things jump out to me there that I think would be worthwhile and helpful for us to talk about this morning is one, his prayer time. And then two, what was he praying for these people? Um, And so we're going to focus on that this morning because I think it's very interesting to look at what exactly he was praying for them. And I think it's also probably worthwhile to talk about uh, this idea of prayer idea of prayer. Um, Because that's where it all starts. And that started in verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So I have a slide up here that says, Common Approaches to Prayer. So when we say the word prayer, I don't know what comes to your mind. I don't know what you think of. I don't know what your background is. But it's like, it can be all over the map. And I've shared this story before. And I can't remember one, so I'll just share it again. It works. Um, I remember I was uh, in college, and um, there was, I I believe, yes, I was the only worker in the particular area that I was in that was a born-again Christian. And, uh, you know, college age, so that's honestly Jesus Christ and sin and all that stuff is is the least of people's, like, you know, that's not even on the radar. They don't care. They want to do what they wanted to do. And um, I remember, um, you know, just trying to be a light, you know, while I was there, the best that I can. It, it's just tough. You know, you just, sometimes you just can't come out with the gospel and say, Jesus Christ died for your sins, you need to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Like, and even if you could say that, I don't even know how well that would really resonate or be helpful in any way. So a lot of times what you do to try and be a light at work is you try to show up on time, try and be prepared, you try and do... Um, the work that's assigned to you the best that you can, even if maybe it's assigned in like unfair ways and unfair terms. They'll try and shine bright in that way. Um, you know, you try not to like swear. You try not to gossip. Um, and those are the types of things, you know, that you know usually separates you apart from most people. Try not to join in and lead in the parade of complaining, which is always so easy to do. So these are the ways, you know, you try and stick out. And hopefully, through that time of doing that, maybe some conversations arise. And so I remember uh, going out um, with um, a couple of the supervisors um, from work. So one was like my head boss, and then the next was kind of like my immediate supervisor. And um, they wanted to go out to eat, and uh, they're like, hey, you know, would you like to join us, come out to eat? I was like, yeah, you know, sure, you know, let's go do it. On the border, like, let's go. You know, so we'll get like a burrito axe and some taco empanadas, you know, and it'll be good. Um, so we uh, get there and, uh, you know, we're talking, we're hanging out with uh, two females. And uh, eventually, um, you know, the conversation just starts to steer towards, you know, our lives and, you know, what's going on and stuff. And at that particular time, I was you know, very involved at church. I was uh, teaching Sunday school. So there's two services where I was going. Um, the first service... Uh, I would teach... Uh, no, I'd go just for myself, just to get church for myself. And then the second service, uh, teach Sunday school, 5th and 6th graders. Did that for about three years. 
And I'll tell you what, if you ever want to learn the Bible and know it well and learn how to communicate it well, Sunday school is the gem. The gem. You learn so much. And you learn so much about how to communicate it. And you learn so much about how just because you said something doesn't exactly mean it was received in the way that you thought you communicated it. Sunday school is awesome training grounds. Awesome. So, the conversation steered and we started talking about uh, you know, church and all this stuff. And um, I don't remember what particular topic we were talking about. I remember prayer came up. And I think, I want to say it was a difficulty of some kind. I don't remember. And uh, I started to share with them and I could feel as I was talking, I was like, oh, this is a moment like where we can talk about Jesus a little bit. We're about to get to this particular area. And I was talking about prayer in some situation and I remember it was a difficult thing so I was telling them a little bit about how I was praying and about how it was like whatever the issue was it was, it was difficult for me and I was having a hard time with it and the prayer time was important and then I shared with them about how I just oh, after the prayer time I just felt so freed and kind of liberated from whatever was going on and how that was an important part of my life and stuff and, and um, one of the girls she goes oh that's really great it's really good for you that's really good therapy I think it's so good. And I was like, ah, I was like, I, I see what she's saying. You know, she saw it as it was a meditative way for me to get therapy that I needed from a stressful and anxious situation. But that's not exactly what I wanted to communicate and say. And I think many times prayer could take that form of meditative. Uh, transcendental sort of uh, kind of a trance-like type state where it just helps bring some sort of peace. Um, Or it could be just a laundry list that you give to some higher being or some higher order and hopefully he'll throw you a bone. Um, It has different ideas and different contexts and I don't know your background or where you're coming from. But I just wanted to make sure this morning that at least number one, when Paul says prayer, that we're talking the same language and we're talking about the same thing. And then from that prayer, what's he talking about like within the prayer? Um, Because when I was talking, you know, with those girls in that dinner time, my idea of prayer and, you know, her idea of prayer, it was radically different. So um, I wrote down a few things that hopefully might be a little bit helpful. Uh, Maybe it's just not that helpful to you in kind of a review, but maybe it'll be helpful for you in a way where you can understand a little bit better where other people are coming from. So your first fill in the blank there in your bulletin. Prayer, right, common approach to prayer. i got three of them. Um, Here's kind of what prayer, I think, is sometimes known as. Uh, Prayer is sometimes known as a spare tire. That's sometimes what prayer is known as. If you had to give it an illustration or to give it um, some kind of context... Prayer is sometimes known as a spare tire. And and you know what a spare tire is. Um, I remember uh, breaking down, uh, again, when I was in college, and I think I was actually on my way to church, and it was a night service, and it was freezing, it was so cold out. And, um, you know, it was one of those, I didn't really want to go, but I felt like I should go. Anybody ever relate to that? Yes. Right? But I know that I should go. Um, But then I got this flat tire... So then a part of me is like, oh, see, you shouldn't even be going. That's God's sign. Uh, But no, it wasn't. It was just a barrier from me actually getting to go. So now I'm on the highway, freezing outside, flat tire. So now I'm thinking about my spare tire. Regularly, I spend zero time and zero effort ever thinking about my spare tire. I don't know if you do. Do you regularly check where your spare tire is? How to get it out of your vehicle? Um, how to put it on? If it's inflated properly? I don't know about you, but I don't think too many people do that. And I think many people treat prayer time and prayer in general kind of like that. So I have this flat tire. I've never thought really anything about it. But now... I am stuck on the highway on the side of the road. I have no money for a tow truck or anything. It's freezing. I'd still like to get to church. 
And now I'm putting everything out. I'm banking everything on that spare tire that I've never really thought about before, ever before. It never had a prominent place in my life before, but now it matters because I need that fourth wheel to get there. And I think many times that's sometimes a common approach to prayer. It's just a spare tire. When things get desperate and we're getting squeezed and people are getting really just stressed out, all of a sudden, hey, where's that prayer? Where's that prayer? Where's that thing I read or that thing I heard or that thing that I wrote down? Um, And I would say it's good to pray in desperate times. But I would say praying in only desperate times, that's the problem. Corey Ten Boom has a famous quote where she says, um, she asks a question, she says, is prayer your driving wheel or is it your spare tire? And I think it's a good question to ask. Um, So I think that's one approach to prayer. It's like, man, when I'm desperate, hey, where's my spare tire? And I hope that thing works and I hope it's ready to go. Here's another common approach. Prayer as a courteous procedure. So prayer as a courteous procedure. We had prayer as a spare tire. That was number one. So another approach is prayer as a courteous procedure. Does anybody in here ever watch any... I know we don't have many World Cup fans because we found that out last week. So does anybody ever watch any type of athletic events of any kind? High school, college, on TV, professional? Yes, some. Some. Or at least, has anybody, anyone in here ever not been around any type of athletic event of any kind? Anybody not? Right? So everybody has to some degree. So, in an athletic event, and they just had the Home Run Derby, I think, this past week, which that was kind of snoozerific. I wasn't really excited about that. So I was watching that, and, um, you know, before they start that, and before they start every athletic event, they do the national anthem. So everybody um, is there, and some people approach the national anthem differently. Some have their hands on their hearts, and, um, you know, some veterans are there, you know, this is an intense moment, their hands on their hearts, and, you know, they're holding their hats, and they're just, you know, they're respectful, and, you know, some other people are singing along. Uh, Some other people are on their cell phones and texting away and really could care less. A lot of different approaches. But as a whole, the entire stadium, wherever it is, For that moment, they're recognizing their country, right? They're recognizing their flag, and then they get on to the game. I think another very common approach to prayer is the national anthem common courtesy approach, where, hey, um, we will um, get there, we will fit that part in, but then now let's get on to the game. Right? The national anthem plays no bearing on how the game's going to get played out. The National Anthem plays no part in the strategy and what the teams are going to do. It's just a common courtesy form of procedure that is done, and then you get on to the game. So for many people, I fit in my prayer, well, I did this, and I ran into some people um, not too long ago and talking about God and stuff, and... I don't know. Sometimes, like, you know, because I'm a pastor and I meet with people and talk with people, it's like an immediate guilt trip, and... Like, my presence is a mean guilt trip. I, mean, I don't intend it to be that way, but it just, you get the rap for that. And, uh, you know, and I haven't seen them in a while. And, uh, oh, you know, but we're still praying. And I'm like, uh, I, I'm not questioning your, you know, your church attendance and what you're doing. It's between you and God. Um, but I'm still praying, you know, care to be concerned because is it just a national anthem, common courtesy type thing? Or is it invading your life that's going to happen, right? So common approaches to prayer, I think it definitely could be classified sometimes as a spare tire for some people. It could definitely be classified sometimes for some people as a common courtesy where it just happens and then, okay, once that's done, now I'll live my life on my terms and the way that I want to do it. And I think one other common approach to prayer is a prayer as a means to my end. Prayer as a means to my end. Meaning this. I was reading something this past week and uh, this particular pastor was talking about um, how he used to pray with his family before mealtime and sometimes uh, he would get asked as a child 
uh, he would get asked uh, to pray, you know, for the meal. His favorite meal um, was fried chicken. That's what he liked, and that's what he was, you know, really looking forward to come dinner time. And he was a child, you know, at that point, so he's super excited. And so um, when it was meal time and it was um, his turn to pray, he said that, uh, you know, everyone would be around the table, he'd, he'd put his hands together, um, and then he would start with his eyes closed and start however his prayer goes, and then two or three words, his eyes would be open, just fixed on the fried chicken sitting in front of him. And he just wanted to hurry up and finish that prayer and get to the thing, man, that he just really wanted. And it's comical, and I, I can also relate, um, but I think it paints definitely a pretty good picture as far as I think how some people also approach prayer is that, you know what, it's just a means to my end. Sure, I will bring maybe this relationship uh, maybe I'll bring my finances. Maybe I'll bring my job in prayer to God. But honestly, I want to still do this thing my way and on my terms. But at least I can say I talk to God about it. So many times we do that because a lot of times we want what we want. Um, and we can be stubborn and persistent about stuff. And so we approach God with our eyes half opened on the relationship we still want, on the way we still want to spend our money, um, on uh, the things that we still want to do, when it's like, you know, no. Let's be fully focused on just giving Him thanks that, man, He gave us this awesome fried chicken. And now we have access to it. Thank you, Lord, for that. And then from there, you know, we enjoy it. Instead of, man, went here and I get this thing over so I can get to what I want to get to. So it's sad a lot of times, you know, especially, um, you know, in churches all across America on Sunday mornings and you got, you know, unfortunately a lot of times, not only, but a lot of times, it's men, you know, sitting in their pews and what time is this thing over and, you know, they're checking the scores and what time is this thing so I can, what? Like, that's sad, you know, like come to church, give me your undivided attention, all across the board, you know, it's like, let's listen to him and see what he's going to speak to you. And it's not, hey, let's just check in hard get this thing done so I can get to my next thing that I have to do. It's sad. It's really sad. Um, and not to say that women don't do it too, but it's sad because many times, right, men carry the burden, I don't say burden, but men carry the privilege to lead families, whether it's the headship. And it's sad when you can barely even get them there. And then when they are there, they're just counting down the minutes or they're distracted the whole time while they are there. It's sad. So I think those are three common approaches to prayer. Spare tire. Courteous procedure. Just a means to my own end. Now, but let's look at it now and be like, okay, so if that's maybe the way it's thought about, when Paul says he is praying, what's he talking about? Because he's not talking about spare tire time. He's not talking about courteous procedure. He's not talking about means to my end. So what's he talking about? So let's check it out. So you're filling for this one. Prayer is. Right? Prayer is. Prayer is continuous. Prayer is continuous. So that's something that I say check in, check out, hurry up and try and get it over with. It's continuous. Look at the language here. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spiritual wisdom and revelation. I pray also, if you go and you flip over to the right, to Colossians 1. So take your Bible, flip a couple of pages over, not far. Colossians 1, verse 9. This is another letter to another church, but it's the same author. We start at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Very similar language, right? And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please Him in every way. 
bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Right, so he's have the same language where he's continuing to pray and be thankful. And I believe um, if we cheat a little bit in the book of Ephesians, turn to Ephesians 6. It's right at the end there. Ephesians 6, verse 18. And it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The idea is, man, this thing is continuous. Because prayer is not just a matter of self-meditation of some kind. Prayer is actually talking to and interacting with the God who has saved us. And the picture of prayer in the Bible is that this thing is continuous all the time. Like breathing. You breathe without thinking about it. But when you hold your breath, and some time goes by, it's going to start to get difficult. And you're going to have to start to think about it. But Paul is saying, man, for the Christian, for the saint, hopefully they can be in continuous prayer where it's like breathing throughout the day. So part of that bonus question is, what's the right posture for prayer? You know, can you be praying in your car? You know, do you have to be on your face? Do you have to lock yourself in a room? If you do, make sure you have a key to get out, right? What are you doing and how is this working? Well, sometimes you are praying in the car. I think of many mornings where, you know, I'm on my way to school and that's like some solid prayer time. God is doing like a work with me right now where, I don't know what it is, but I like to listen to the radio and, you know, kind of get the news and events for the day and stuff past month, two months, I don't know. God has like kind of spoken to something to my heart. He's like, hey, listen, just shut down the noise in the car for right now. Anytime that you get where you're alone with me in the car, I want you just to talk with me. I don't know what that is all about, but I just, I don't know. He just convicted me of it. So we've just been doing a lot of talking in the car lately. Um, and it's praying for everybody. It's praying for all, you know, my family, my friends, for church, all kinds of stuff. But sometimes, prayer time in the car, like, just doesn't cut it. Because I'm distracted. My eyes are, I'm praying, but I'm distracted. Like, I'm still driving, I'm looking for signs, making sure the guy doesn't cut me off. And if he does, I'm saying, God bless you, of course. Um, You know, so, sometimes then, if it's, say, a work day, i got to lock myself in my classroom where there's no distractions. Shut the computer down. You know what I mean? Like, what's the best posture? I don't know. It depends on God. what God wants to do. Postures come at different times. The thing that's really important is the posture of the heart. So is it a time where I feel like He's calling me to get on my knees and pray to Him? I don't think it's a common posture for a lot of people. But sometimes I feel like we're supposed to be praying on our knees. You know, sometimes Julie and I are like, hey, we're sitting on the couch and praying, but sometimes we're on our knees like praying. I don't know. It changes all the time. But the idea being, though, is that this prayer thing is continuous. Continuous, continuous. I would say it's a bad week if I only got to talk to God two or three times. I think that's a bad week. Honestly, seven days go by. All the things that happen all the ways we've spent our money and all the ways we've spent our time. And then we talk to our Father too, maybe three times a week. I don't think that's a good week. This is continuous. We are in battle. The Bible describes this life and the way we live as warfare. So we've got to be continuously plugged in to Him and what He's doing and what He's saying. So that's one. Prayer is continuous, like breathing. Here's the second one. This is like my story when I was out uh, having dinner uh, with the girls from work there. Prayer is liberating. Prayer is liberating. Paul says here, as he writes to them, he says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
that He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you could know Him better. Within that, a certain sense of freedom comes. Many times, right, in life, right, our relationships, um, you know, our careers, the places that we're in, they can get to be uh, very difficult and very stressful at times and cause some real anxiousness. And one popular method um, that is told to people a lot of times, you know what, number one, remove yourself from the scene if possible. So if Jaron is flipping out and having a bad day, i got to remove myself from the scene so the anger level does not rise to the roof. And then sometimes they tell you, it's okay, now that you remove yourself from the situation, just count to ten. Count to 15. Count to 20. Might be helpful. Might be good. Might help maybe bring some calmness back. I mean, I guess you could count and go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. You know, and just be mad the whole time that you're counting. Right? But the idea is like to kind of breathe a little bit. I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to lose it. Right? And then just count it out. It's helpful. And I think that could bring some calming to the person. But the difference with prayer is that it actually can change a situation. So, okay, maybe you remove yourself, you count to five, you count to ten. Calm yourself down. Just because you removed yourself from the situation, count to five, count to ten, does not mean that somehow the entire situation or circumstance can now be somehow in some way supernaturally changed. The removal and the counting and um, the method can now supernaturally change what's still happening here. The fight that's still happening with my life. The difficulty that's still happening, you know, in the marriage. The difficulty that's still happening with the finances. The beef that I still have with the coworker. So, prayer does this. There's a guy. His name is George Mueller. If you're looking for a good like Christian book to read, uh, biography, autobiography, you want to read about this guy, George Mueller. Um, he's an English guy, so he spells Mueller uh, strange. Uh, Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. George Mueller. And what he did, um, mid to late 1800s, is... Um, his lot in life, God called him to run orphanages. That's what he did. He would just take in tons of kids um, and run these orphanages. And the way he did it was just phenomenal. This guy is just a prayer warrior. Just big time. And um, one of the stories, there is many. And And I, you know, you should read the book. You should check it out. There's many books about him. Read anyone about him. It'll just raise your own faith level in your own prayer life. And this particular one, um, they had a meal. Just like they have lots of meals there. And for this particular meal, there was no food. There was nothing. They didn't have anything. And uh, what he still did, he still got the hundreds of kids together. That turned into thousands of kids. He got the hundreds of kids together. Um, He still got them at the table. He set the table. Um, had them all sit there, still opened up in prayer. They're sitting at the table, they're going to the table, they're getting ready for mealtime, and there's zero food. Nothing. And the kids are like, uh, you know, hey, I don't know what they called them. Mr. Mueller, you know, where's the food? He says, I don't know, God will provide. Comes together, they give thanks, they give, th- they give thanks because, wait, nothing's there. They gave thanks, very similar to Jesus with the 5,000. He gave thanks, even though there's 4,999 empty mouths, but he's giving thanks. So he gives thanks for the little bit that he has. And right after that, in this particular situation, he gets a phone call from a local bakery. And the baker says, listen, we have all these you know, baked goods left over. And uh, we just, he says, I... He said, I just felt like I was supposed to call you and just brought, dropped this off to you guys. That's just one st- super small, minuscule story of this guy's life and how God worked this orphanage. 
see, George could have removed himself from the situation. I said, okay, you know, I'm going to try and be positive about this, and I'm going to try and be somebody dependable that the kids can lean on and count on here and explain to them that sometimes like, we'll have food and sometimes we won't. And he could have gone through all of that. See, but it was different when prayer and communication happened with the Holy God. It changed the situation in a supernatural way. So far different than, oh, that's nice for you, meditation. It changes the situation. Look at somebody next to you and just say, it changes the situation. Say it to them. Now you say it back to them. Because I know somebody didn't say it. Right? It changes the situation. That's what it does. And I think many times that's like where the disconnect for us comes from is that like, well, I've been praying about that thing forever and I've been asking about it and nothing has changed. That's not an excuse to stop. We just keep going, keep pressing through, which introduces the third one here. So prayer is continuous. Prayer is liberating. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. I would say that's a pretty powerful... That's one little story from George Mueller. That's one little story from his orphanage. There's many, many more. And there's many, many more stories. Um, For us, for you, maybe for me, our backgrounds in prayer might not be all that powerful. And so it could be difficult to ask God in such a way to move powerfully, to move radically. It's in those situations um, where um, I think this statement holds very true. And I read it in a a book somewhere, I forget where. But the idea is this. We pray according to His truth, not according to our experience. We pray according to His truth, not according to our experience. I will tell you, flat out, I have yet to supernaturally heal somebody on the spot into a way that just blows my mind unbelievably. I have yet to actually see that for myself in person. I've heard stories from other people and other pastors and other situations. Um, I have yet um, to see somebody dead rise to life because God has prayed for them. I've heard stories of it, not just from the Bible, but from other people. Um, I have yet to see, I've not experienced a being in another country. I've been in other countries, but I've yet to be in another country. And so, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of times in other countries, there's, there's a lot of people that are like bent over, kind of like bent over here, and um, they kind of like walk on all fours and they, and they can't stand straight up. And so, there's a lot of stories in the Bible where. Jesus or the apostle go around and just lay hands on them and heal them and they just stand right up and walk. Um, or like uh, what happened with Paul, he says, hey, pick up uh, your mat and walk. Or Peter, pick up your mat and walk. I have yet to see that. So, does that mean then on a Wednesday night when we pray together and there is needs there and people want um, healings from all kinds of different things, do, I, do we not bring them to God in a real way because we haven't experienced it? Absolutely not. Because we're going to pray based on His truth. In the Bible it says, nothing is impossible. And there's nothing to conclude that those healings and those things were just for that time for those people. There's nothing that suggests that. So if that power is still available, and we sing this song, the grave could not contain the power of His name. Right? Like, we haven't seen a lot of it or been around a lot of it. That doesn't mean we stop praying for it and asking God for it. Because we don't pray based on our experiences. What kind of prayer life is that? It's just based on my experience and what I kind of know. We pray based on His truth because this entire thing is a life of faith. We just don't live out and act according to what feels comfortable and what we know. 
supposedly the Christian is walking out according to faith. And that's the thing that changes like everything. When we continue to bring things to God that's just like doesn't make sense and we haven't experienced it but we keep bringing it to Him and every once in a while He'll just show up in a miraculous way. It's just what He does. It's what He's capable of doing. So hopefully we can be faithful in that. So we're going to close this with a couple of thoughts and this is it. The power of our prayer lives change when the focus changes. The power of our prayer lives change when the focus changes. So I want you to look at this prayer. This is something uh, pretty interesting that I found in this prayer here and I don't know if you noticed as we read through. Take a look at what he's asking for here. Because remember before we said we want to talk about prayer and we also want to talk about what did Paul pray about. Take a look at this. Here's what Paul prays. And now we have the same idea as far as what we're talking about prayer, right? That it's consistent, um, right? That it's powerful, uh, that it's liberating. So here's what he says. Here's how he prays for these people. I keep asking, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, here's what he's praying for, spirit of wisdom and revelation. So wisdom, the ability to discern what's a good decision, what's a bad decision. Should I go here and take that job? Should I not go do that? Um, you know, should I make this choice? Should I not make this choice? That's the spirit of wisdom. Revelation. Revelation is a revealing from God as far as what He is doing. Not just seeing a situation as I see it, but seeing a situation as He sees it. So Paul is praying that they would get this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And why? So he'd known better. Verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. So he's praying for a spirit of wisdom. He's praying for revelation. He's praying that their eyes of their heart... Did you know that your heart has eyeballs? Did you know that? You learned a new thing today. Right? Your heart has eyeballs. You can tweet that later. Your heart has eyeballs, and apparently they could be kind of closed. They could not be seeing what God is actually doing. And then later on, Paul goes to explain how this hope will lead to um, this power that will take over their prayer lives. Notice in the prayer, he never prayed for anything material. I never said, well, I'm praying that you guys will get the money that you need to get what you need to get done in Ephesus. Um, I'm praying that you're going to get that sound system that you guys have been needing because you have so many people and not everybody can hear you. you know, I'm praying you guys will get that. I know you need some new chairs. I'm praying that you guys will get you know, some new chairs there. I'm praying for the building you know, that you need because yours is falling apart. That's not the issue. When we're praying for other Christians and other believers, the prayers that really just need to happen. The things that are really important many times just aren't material. There are some things that we need for sure. But the prayer requests that seem to take priority are the ones that, like verse 17 says, so that you may know Him better. Those are the prayer requests that we want to pray for people. God, help them to be able to give them an ability to decide what's right and wrong. Help them to make, want to make the right decision because you are guiding them in that decision. You can try all day long to try and create behavior changes in people and show them the consequences of their choices. But guess what? Consequence, like, consequence conversations don't usually lead to a lot of good lifestyle changes. Just don't. Because at some point in time, we want to do what we want to do and I don't care what you say just the way that we're built. But we can pray, God, help them to see that what they're doing is not wise. Help them to see that the way that they're living and carrying it out is not helpful. God, help me to see in my situation what I can do to be a help to lead them to you. It's just sad a lot of times a lot of Christians have a lot of messages and a lot of 
prayers and a lot of advice for a lot of people where it's like, well, how does God want to use me in the middle of this situation? And a lot of times, as far as prayer time goes, it usually just changes us first before it changes the situation. Because the fact of the matter is, in 17 and 18, we need a head and we need a heart adjustment. Anybody ever go to the chiropractor here? A really chiropractor? Yeah, I started going like a few years ago. It definitely helped. I had some kind of like hip problem and things were off and uh, then I went and I was like, wow, that was amazing. And then like, it wasn't like, wow. So, like I had like one leg longer. And... So the chiropractor would get in there and he would adjust, right? He would adjust and manipulate um, the bones and the way they sit so that way my body could have proper structure and hopefully function and move in the way it was designed to. So you get an adjustment. And what we need is we need a head and a heart adjustment. Right? Because he said right here in verse 17 and 18, they give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better and that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So in order for us to pray well, we need a head and a heart adjustment. So here's a final question here as we close up. So, do you, do I have a prayer plan? A prayer plan. Right? A prayer plan. Prayer is not something uh, a lot of times we can just venture into super casually. Because if the Bible's right, and this thing is spiritual warfare, I don't think that you would enter into a prayer, uh, a battle or another fight just kind of casually. And did I pack my, you know, sword today? I don't know. Did I get my shield? You know, I don't know. Where are we supposed to like meet today? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I enter into that casually. This is not a casual thing for us. So there should be some sort of plan in place. There's definitely room for and a need for spontaneity. But there should also be a conscious plan in place. So the question is, is do you, do I have a prayer plan? Do we have a plan to pray? Like when? You know, like, when am I going to pray? Uh, where will I pray? What would I pray about? Who would I pray for? That's something like that takes a lot of time and energy that we have to be intentional about. Definitely requires some kind of plan in place to where we can move forward um, and be effective in this area because we don't want to be guilty of falling into the other common approaches which none of us are above falling into all of us can fall into the realm of spare tire common courtesy right? we can fall into those things and so we want to try and guard against that and have a plan into place well, where am I going to get my prayer time in today Hopefully, nobody says, well, I got my prayer time in at church today. It's kind of good. But we need some prayer time individually with God so we can download from the primary source Himself. Like, this is not a substitute for quiet times. Still a need for that. So maybe a plan will be in place, you know? And a lot of times we have to set plans because our lives are so busy and crazy. I'm hoping um, that Wednesday nights will also become more of like part of the prayer plan. I'll tell you what, the past like few Wednesday nights have been a super huge blessing. And I know the time not everybody can make it because it's 6.30. Um, and that's fine. Um, but hopefully you can join us from wherever you're at or whenever you get off work or however you can do it. Um, but it's been a super blessing. Um, it's been very powerful. Really good. And... Uh, you know, so hopefully if you can do it, Wednesday nights are part of the prayer plan. And even if you can't be here, then hopefully the spreadsheet online for all the requests of our brothers and sisters is a priority for us. Something that's important that we think about, that we're aware of. Not like, you know, where's that tab on the website and what was the thing? And No, it's a thing that's so common because we do it all the time. It's like, oh yeah, that's where it is, that's where we're doing. Right, it has to be a thing that we're intentional about and we aggressively go after. Because this thing at the end of the day, it is a battle. It is a battle. And our struggle lies in 
powers and principalities that we cannot see. So sometimes your household seems like there's more tension. Sometimes at your job it just feels like it's more stressful. Sometimes Sunday mornings just flat out suck before you get here. There is actual strategy behind what is going on. And man, the sooner we grab a hold of that and believe that, the sooner we want to formulate some kind of battle plan and get in line with it. And hopefully we won't fall into spare time, or spare tire, you know, courteous procedure, and just trying to use prayer to get what I want. It'll change us radically from the inside out. So the message went a little bit longer than what I wanted to do. Um, so what we'll do is we're going to stand and we'll close in prayer together. Right? We'll close in prayer together. And um, I'm hoping this week that, man, you guys would just be a force in the spiritual dimension as far as prayer goes. Like God will not, or the enemy will not want to come around your neck of the woods this week because he's like, man, they're coming hard. They're coming heavy. I'm not used to this. And he might ramp it up. Absolutely. He might ramp it up, absolutely. Um, but comparisons between God and the devil, it's you know, apples and oranges. It's not even comparable in any way, shape, or form. And so I think it would be good for us to pray together before we leave this morning. And I know people are not comfortable with praying out loud. Be that as it may, not really, I think, as we've talked about and decided, the whole prayer thing doesn't really center upon us and our feelings and situations. It's centered upon what He wants us to pray and what He wants us to speak, because apparently, there is power in praying what He has laid on our hearts. Why does God choose to use prayer in that way? I don't know. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't choose to use the words of Jared that I've laid on his heart and then hope that then he prays it out in an authoritative way. I wouldn't do that. I don't think I would count on people enough like that. And you probably wouldn't either, especially with something really important. But he counts on us like that. So what we'll do together is I'm going to ask for two people, I don't, it doesn't matter who it is, to pray for this week coming up. So pray for this week coming up and pray about anything that you would like that the Lord lays on your heart. And then I'll close. Um, and then that's it for us this morning. We'll grab, you know, grab some food downstairs you know, and head out. But we'll pray together before we leave. Sound good? Alright. We'll see. Let's pray together. So two people um, could pray um, for this week coming up.